All right, part three of Remember, as we're looking at Second Peter, and we're going to see what God has to say to us tonight about His return. So it'll be a good, be a good time for us to think a little bit about things we need to remember. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you because you're sovereign and you're good. And we thank you that your goodness and your sovereignty are not affected, do not depend upon, and are not uh, in any way shaped or molded by our experiences in this life. And we are so grateful and so thankful for you as our one true constant, barometer in every situation and circumstance we thank you for the word that you've given us lord we receive it as a good gift that you intended for us lord what a blessing it is to always have a plumb line always have a a a rope to lead us where it is we need to go we are looking forward to what you have to say to us tonight we pray holy spirit that you would come give us ears to hear Hearts willing to receive, give us the courage, Lord, to apply the things that you show us, that you might be glorified in and through them all. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I got to meet my granddaughter today. So, I don't, whatever happens here is irrelevant because I'm pretty sure I got saved all over again. So, this is all just extra. All right, let's jump in. Now, there's a principle I want us to consider, first of all, that our, our view of the future is profoundly affects, it profoundly affects the decisions we make and the way we live today. So I want you to think a little bit about the future, but I want you to think about how you think about the future. I want you to think about some things that oftentimes we don't normally spend time Thinking about this, when you look ahead, how do you formulate an idea of what it is you see? Have you ever considered the fact that all of us are equally disadvantaged when it comes to the future? None of us can see the future. Yet, some of us are far better at predicting what's going to happen than other people. Isn't that amazing? In other words, making wise decisions today based on what we think will be tomorrow. But yet everyone has has got the same insight. So clearly, there's some things that are very beneficial that you can utilize. I mean, basically... Some of the things I'm going to talk about tonight are the, the secret to being able to uh, live wisely today and to uh, look wisely into the future. Now, why, uh, why is the pri- what is the primary factor in shaping our view of the future? And the answer is remembering the past. So here's what happens. Whenever you think about the future, 
whatever it is you're thinking about, uh, the, the nearer it is, uh, it's, it, like if you're thinking about the future like a week from now, it's almost completely, what you see in your mind is almost completely determined by your past experiences. Just You just think about, and you think about your near, present, past, and you formulate the future. And the further you go out, the more it, you just lean on what you've experienced in the past, what you know in the past, and you're applying as much of that to the, your future picture as you possibly can. So let's think about this now. Let's make a clarification that our past does not determine our future. That's very important to understand. It profoundly affects the way we think about the future, but it does not determine the future. And so, for example, as we envision the future based on past memories, we use these past experiences to predict what we think will happen in the future, and chronology is important. Because your most recent experiences will tend to trump those things that happened further back. And what we, the way we process this or think about this is we'll think about it in the context of healing. But what's, and, and it is healing. But what's happening is, is, is so maybe, let me try to just give you a very simple practical way to understand this. It's sort of like, Supposing a, uh, a dog wanders up in your yard and the dog is, uh, you know, in very poor condition and has been abused. And so if, when you go near the dog, the dog cowers down or runs away or whatever the case may be. And so what happens is over time as you begin to take care of this dog, what happens is the dog begins to change. And so... Maybe I come over to visit a couple months later and you've got this happy dog running around the yard, you know, chasing a stick or whatever. And you're explaining to me what used to be true. Now, all of the things that the day you first met the dog are still 100% true. Whatever happened prior to that, hey, you haven't changed any of that. What's changed is the most current experiences have replace those further back experiences, right? So what happens to us is we oftentimes, uh, I'm not comparing us to dogs, I'm just getting us to understand the way this works. We come into a relationship with Christ, we become a new creation, and so then we have this new paradigm, and so the new paradigm begins to replace the old paradigm. We come in very broken, and God begins to heal us, but oftentimes we don't think about this. What is the healing process? Oftentimes the healing process, a lot of times, is just new experiences replacing the broken ones. You see that, how that works? And so you see the power of remembering. Now, the, old, the bad things that happened to you still happened and were still just as painful. What's changed 
is that you're now having new experiences that are now supplanting those in importance. Now, let's read 2 Peter beginning in verse 12. Here's what he says. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Now, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So do you see the, the pastoral kindness, the apostolic kindness of Peter who is, understands the power of remembering and he's admonishing people that he loves in this area, knowing that he's not going to be there, but knowing that the, although he's going to depart, what will remain? The memories. And if, if, if we're good stewards of these memories, there's great power. See, oftentimes as believers, our future hope is going to be, it's going to be fully realized as our godly character is nurtured along this path, this path through strenuous at times, but at least diligent moral effort. That's what we talked about last week. And it's built upon the promises of God. So take that and then lay that next to the fact that we live in a world that has always been plagued by people who use salvation and grace in quotations, as an excuse for immoral living. You see this, this, the false teachers that were plaguing the people that Peter's writing to were doing the same thing that's going on today. It's nothing's changed. So what you see today is people sort of in the proximity or even within uh, the church not the body of Christ, but within the church. And sometimes, you know, in all different levels, they're, you know, well, I'm saved. I mean, I've, I've had people look me straight in the eye and say, well, I'm saved, so I know God's going to forgive me. Yikes. Or I've heard people say, I'm saved, so God has to forgive me, which is I always, you know, want to step back and like, whoo, you know. But people think that way. And, and they trample upon grace. Well, you know what? I mean, God's graceful, which he is. And so the grace of God allows me to just do what I want to do or live how I want to live. Or, you know, it, just be able to skirt the line. Of course, it's the line that I've sort of determined that is there. So Peter wants us to remember the true gospel, one that included progressive spiritual maturity as a validation of true salvation. You see, when, when you look at the Bible, what you're going to find is that confidence in salvation comes 
through sanctification or through spiritual maturity. And it comes through a progression of growth. And so as you grow in Christ, the more you grow, the more confident you obviously become in the fact that you are His. That only makes sense. And think about it. Why is that? Because as I'm growing in my new life with Christ, so, you know, for some of you, you're in your new life with Christ. For some of you, that was a long time ago. But either way, think about it and, and realize as you're growing initially in your relationship with Christ, these are new experiences. These are new memories that are what? Supplanting the old. So they're chronologically right behind you. So you see the problem with someone who is at some, some place in their spiritual walk where they've determined that you, you see the danger of what happens if someone says, well, you know, I, I've been a Christian for, for 20 years but they haven't grown for 10 years. Now you have this, the larger the gap between where you are and when you experience these things, you see the great danger that you're in? Great danger. Even if you're genuinely converted, which is iffy. I'm not going to say impossible. I'm just saying very sketchy. So, because there's extenuating situations and circumstances, so I don't want to just use blanketing language here. So he says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. What qualities? What, what are we talking about? See, the lesson here is that being reminded of spiritual truth sustains the godliness that's already present in our lives. And these qualities are these progressive steps that we walked through last week. Remember, remember the text from last week? For this very reason, make every effort, he says, to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Remember that? Now listen to what, let's just remember last week. For if these qualities are yours and abound or are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the knowledge is not the link, the hinge. These things keep the knowledge from being useful. See, you can have knowledge and be useless, or you can have knowledge and be very useful. The knowledge is completely predicated on these other things. Then Peter said in verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten, you see, that he was cleansed from his former sins. You see, Peter's talking about somebody who was cleansed of their sin. But what's happened is there's been a big gap. So 
Maybe for some of you, tonight will be this, this aha moment where you figure out, like, you know, why spiritually you, you just always feel like you're beating your head against the wall. Like you don't seem to progress at, you know, not only at the rate that you desire, but you're just not progressing at all or nearly what you should. And so Peter is dealing with these exact things, these exact things. Now, here's a good sort of principle for you. Yesterday's godliness won't suffice for today if left unattended and undernourished. Now, yesterday's godliness is incredibly valuable if it's attended to, if it's nourished, if it's in other words, notice when Peter lays these things out. Listen, that, that, that list of things, you shouldn't look at those things. It's, it's not a ladder. Do not look at, you know, virtue to knowledge to self-control. That's not a ladder that you climb to get to the top spiritually. That's the complete wrong way to see that. It's more like a path that leads you in the darkness, okay? He's just giving you examples. That's not some definitive spiritual, you know, thing that some, or trust me, many uh, people have twisted and used and even written books about and just tried to, you know, make money by telling people, if you just do this and go to this and this and this, you, you know, you got it. That's not what it is, okay? So, we all have a heart that's tendency is to be forgetful. That's the tendency of our heart. So what we need to do is we need the gospel to be rehearsed in our minds. And when we're rehearsing the gospel in our minds, we're not rehearsing information alone. We're not like just, we're not just like repeating just some ethereal information about something. We're repeating information about something that we've experienced to some degree, at some level, in some way. And, and my experience is not your experience. And so you need your own experience because you can't rely on someone else's experience. It's your experience. And here's the thing, we need to understand that even a seasoned Christian can lapse, can lose, lose their way, can get off track, can get into serious sin and serious doctrinal error. Anybody can do that. So you have to always be very, very conscious and very careful about what you're doing, what you're letting in, what information you're uh, subjecting yourself to, especially um, in the context of truth. You see, because your mind, let me explain it to you this way. So when I... For example, when I went to uh, Alabama, when, when the 
leaders in Alabama asked me to come over and to address them about foster care and how to rehabilitate foster care in Alabama. They wanted to know about Rescue 100 and about Michael Memorial and about what we had done. This is how I explained it to them. Because remember, I'm speaking to this uh, mostly secular crowd of elected officials and so on and so forth. And so I say to them, well, first of all, you have to, where are, where are the, the stable, dependable homes in your state? Now, you can debate me all you want to, but everybody knows, everybody knows, and not one person flinched and dared raise their hand because they were going to get torched. Because everyone knows that a family, listen, even a family that goes to a dud church or a bad church or even a heretical church at least is a family that cares about being a family or they wouldn't be going, right? Okay, so you can't argue with that. See, I'm not saying you have to go to my church. I'm saying a family that goes to church at least cares about a family, right? Okay, so you identify where the families that care about family. They're in church. Now, why is it essential that we communicate about foster care to families in church in church? Because guess what? When you come into church, do you know what you do? When you come into church, you don't listen to what you hear in church the same way you listen to what you hear on TV. You have a whole different filter. A whole, when you come into church, because, because a church, once a church becomes your home, that's a place you trust, right? And so you sit down and all your guards go down. And so you're able to hear things in the context of a church that you can't hear anywhere else. Because anywhere, everywhere else you got this, you got these guards up, right? Okay. So what happens to the person who, I mean, believe me, I am so careful about this. What happens to the person? What happens to me? We'll use me as an, as an example. What if I start sitting in my office and reading books written by suspect authors with suspect theology. Now understand, I sit in my office and read books all the time. My brain is conditioned to receiving and to study and to, right? And so when I introduce falsehood into that environment, what happens is I make myself very susceptible to things. I have to be very careful. You don't think you could get, get yourself off track, deceived? Just start watching the wrong person on TV. Start listening to the wrong person on the radio or podcast or start reading the wrong person's books and watch. You will immediately start noticing your theology shifting. You got to be very, very, very careful. See, if I told you if I told you, well, look, you know, so you got a Mormon Bible. It's okay. I mean, there, there's some similarities. You would look at me like I'm crazy because I would never say that. 
Well, I would also never tell, I would, well, that goes for what you're watching, what you're hearing, what you're, you got to be careful, so careful. We are susceptible. True godliness will only be sustained when we remember gospel truth or else it will falter and fade under the assault of false teaching. And here's why. It's not, now, now think about this. Think about what I'm saying here. True godliness has supreme power over false teaching because one is true and one is false. So how can falsehood defeat truth in your life? Chronology. Mm-hmm. You might have all the truth in the world yesterday, 10 years. So 10 years ago, you went to some great church where there was great theology, where somebody was teaching and preaching the Bible. But for the last three years, you've been in some other situation. And so what do you think happens? What's the newest, freshest? And so it starts to, your, your, what you had back there begins to falter, even though it's still just as solid. Nothing's changed about that. But what in your experience, in your ability to access that and live in wisdom and walk forward into wisdom is completely messed up by that situation. See, not all remembering is equal. It's not equal. See, some people maybe grew up in a context uh, where they where the the basic truths so they were they grew up in church or they grew up in a Christian home but what happens is the basic truths of don't you, don't you think that there's a, a a link between the fact that you know when a when a young person grows up in a Christian home typically the danger zone is when they move out of the house and go to college, right? Now, don't you, now, is it just like the magical age of being, you know, 20? No. You moved out of the house and you went to another. Now you're in a new, you're in a new environment with a new, with new, and you know this. We know this consciously, but think about what I'm saying. And so what's happening is the chronology of these experiences, what's in the past doesn't change. But your ability to access it, utilize it, lean on it, experience it, the, the functionality of it has greatly changed. It's, it's like functional amnesia. Like I know... I mean, you, you all know what I'm talking about. It's the person you talk to who their life is a disaster, yet when you sit down and talk to them, like, they know all the right answers. Like, they can quote the verses. They know the information, but their life is a disaster. What's going on here? They're, see, functionally, they have functional amnesia. They, they can't access the, the, the functionality of what they experienced. 
See, gospel truth might be remembered mentally, yet the question is, did it ever become a vital part of your life? And if it, and, and if it was a vital, I'm not saying either, maybe it never was a vital part of your life, or maybe it was, but the question is, is it now? Is it now? So it's like, think about the person who, they remember that Jesus died for their sins. But yet, functionally, they walk in condemnation. And so there's, there's this believer, this saved person, who, who is held down, who's held low, who, who doesn't flourish, doesn't grow as they should. And you start to to move into that situation and get to know them and disciple them. And what comes out is maybe they had an abortion and they can't get over it. Or they were abused or they were divorced or they were whatever. Now, hold on a second. So let me get this straight. So mentally you understand that you have been forgiven. Like your sin, mentally you know it's white as snow but yet you live in condemnation. You see? So just mentally knowing something is not... Uh, saying that the Lord is good is miles and miles and miles apart from tasting and seeing that He's good. Those two things are not the same. They're not the same. Now, when you know that he's good because you've tasted and seen that he's good, that's what we're talking about. You see what I mean? So we're called to remember the gospel in a tangible and practical sense. And the repetition of its truth is to function in our lives in both word and deed. Because, see, as we are, as we're reading the Bible, as we're hearing sermons, as we're talking through things, right? As these things are happening in our life, we're, we're applying them. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. And what's happening is then we're experiencing the things that we're applying and that we're living, right? And so those things are stacking up behind us. And they're supplanting the things behind. And they're also pushing us forward. So I don't think, I don't think you've, maybe a lot of you have never really thought about how, uh, spiritually speaking, this issue of, of living in the past is, can be so devastating. Far more devastating spiritually than just in a normal sense. It's devastating. All right, verse 16. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born of him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so now we're getting into the gospel and its trustworthiness and, its, and, and how we're able to verify it. And so we remembering that Christ will return provides the greatest motivation and highest accountability for growing in spiritual maturity and living a godly life. See, my favorite thing to do is that when, when I'm talking with you about a passage of Scripture and you say to me, you know, we're talking about a passage of Scripture, we're having a conversation about some spiritual principle, and you say to me, you know, here's what I did. You know, like I read this and I did this. Could just be a simple, you know, we're just having a simple conversation in the hallway. My response always wants to be, why? And when I say why, I'm not questioning. I'm not even talking about whether or not what you did was right or wrong or whether I think that was the best choice or not the best choice. That's not even my angle. I'm just saying why because I want to get to the the, the root issue here. I want to, I want to know what, what was it, what experience, what, what functionally do you discern about what you're reading that you're applying to make the decision in your present? Why? Why? Why do you do the things that you do? Maybe you've asked yourself, you're like, my goodness, why do I make such bad decisions? Like, I don't want to make bad decisions. I don't think anybody wants to make bad decisions. The thing about it is, is usually what we're talking about in the context of, we never say it this way, but honestly, well, what is it? We're talking about, well, it just seems like some people can predict the future. They're preparing for what's coming. Now, they don't know the future more than you or anybody else. But what they know is right behind them. You, you've just, you've learned to subconsciously remember. And you're remembering, you're, you're, and here's the thing. What's happening, if, if you show me a person who's walking wisely, that person, I don't need to know anything about them. I can tell you this for sure about them. They're growing spiritually. You cannot walk wisely and not grow spiritually. You might have grown like nobody's business 10 years ago. You cannot walk wisely today on 10 years, 10-year-old 10 experience. You can't do that. It won't work. You know why? Because all the experiences in the last 10 years are piled up on you. See, here, here's, here's the thing. Look. The world is barraging you relentlessly with falsehood. Never ending. And so what do you think happens if you stop growing for, I mean, just think if, I mean, I don't know because I don't want to know. But I mean, I, I think to myself, like, what if I didn't grow for a month? What would happen? It would be horrible because in that month, the world didn't take a break. I mean, it's just, just hitting you from every angle. 
And so if you're growing, just, just the fact that you're growing, that growth has tremendous implications to what's ahead for you. And so we're growing now, now our motivation, our accountability. Why are we doing that? So back to my question of why. Why? You see, if there's, look, if there's no heaven, if I found out tomorrow that there's no such thing as heaven, it's over. It's over. For me. What am I? You think I'm going to keep doing this? Why would I? What's the, no. What's the motivation? Where are we? If there's no heaven, if there's no end result, if there's no point, You've never walked up to someone with a shovel in their hand, sweat running down their, their forehead, digging a hole, and you walked up to them and said, what are you doing? You go, just bored, wanted to dig a hole. That's never happened. No one does that. If you have a shovel in your hand, there's a reason. You think I'm going to be busting my tail, digging every day for nothing? That's not happening. Neither will you. So, of course, see, if heaven's not a reality, living, living a godly life is no different than being a vegetarian. It's the same thing. Because if you know a vegetarian, here's what you know. They're just a vegetarian t this week. They don't, even, they don't even know what a vegetarian is. They have, they have 50 different versions of it. You know why? Because none of them even agree on what it is. I get so aggravated. I'm like, just say, can you just spare us all the, the drama? Look, if you don't eat beef, just say, no, I don't eat red meat. Fine. That's great. I mean, that's, not, that's your problem. That's not great for me, but whatever. But, or, you know what I mean? But the thing about it is, like, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat, but I eat fish. Oh, so fish isn't a meat? Or, you know, I'm a vegetarian, but I eat chicken. Well, chicken's not a meat? I mean, what are we doing here? What, what's the, you know what I mean? It's just, but the thing is, I just decided one day I'm going to be a vegetarian. Okay, good for you. That's a life choice. I don't care. That's your business. Right? Well, so is that what Christianity is? Like I'm just deciding. You know, and I just think life works better when I, when I follow the principles of the Bible. So I'm just going to live the, the Bible principles because, you know, it just makes me more at peace with my surroundings. How long do you think that's going to last? That is ridiculous. That's just a life choice. That's not, that's not, there's nothing permanent about that at all. To sustain over time. Now, here's the thing. If, if, if I knew for sure that that putting meat in my mouth would cause me to drop dead, I'd be the vegetarian of the world. If I knew for sure. So what do you know for sure? And what are the implications of it in your life? 
whatever degree of sin you're willing to tolerate in your life is simply just exposing the weakness of your faith and beliefs. See, if you, if you have a 75% confidence that you're actually going to stand face-to-face -face in front of Jesus Christ himself and give an account for your life for every single thing done in the body, that's going to have a drastic impact on your life, but not as much as somebody who has a 95% or 100%. In other words, you see, so if I'm willing to tolerate a certain level of sin in my life, it's because I don't, I don't fully believe that that's going to happen. That's just common sense. It's just common sense. Think of all the things you don't do. Think of all of them. You know what you don't do? You don't lay down in front of a car and go, come on, honey, let's try it. Roll over me. You know why? Because you're 100% confident that you're going to be squished like a frog. So you don't do that. There's a thousand things I can give you an illustration of that you're 100% confident of that you would never do. But yet somehow sin, well, because you're not confident of it. It's just that simple. You're not confident. Because in my opinion, I would rather lay down in front of a car and go, let's give it a whirl, honey. Than play around with something I'm going to have to stand before Christ and give an account for. You see, the most effective weapon we have in advancing the kingdom of God is our witness. So that is the exact reason why. The return of Christ is always being attacked. And the doctrine of heaven, false teachers from the beginning of time to the end of time will always go after that doctrine all the time. And if they can't, if they can't try to get you to disbelieve in heaven or the doctrine of heaven, then they're gonna, the next best thing is change the parameters. So what we're going to do is we're not going to say that if I can't convince you that heaven's not real, then I'm just going to convince you that everybody gets there who is not an axe murderer. That's the next best thing. And why? Think about it. Because what is the, what is the, the tool that God's given us to build the kingdom? Like, I mean, we have all these tools, but what is the tool? Because guess what? All the tools that you have are of zero value if you don't have a witness. It doesn't matter. You know what? I can preach the paint off the walls, but it won't matter if I don't have a witness. Nobody's going to listen. If I don't live what I say, then what's the point? So guess what? If, you're, if you don't have a witness, you're pointless. Pointless in the kingdom. Pointless. So the only way that you're able to utilize any of the other weapons to make a difference in the kingdom is you have to have a witness. And the only way to have a witness 
is to act, actually do the things that you know. If you don't experience them, if you don't live them, see, if they're all up here but you don't live them, pointless. See how this works? So we're back to this reminder that our view of the future, remember where we started? Our view of the future profoundly affects the decisions we make today and the way we live today. So if I believe that I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ in the future, if I am confident that heaven is a reality, it is going to profoundly affect the decisions that I make today. Verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day that dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So three final things Peter wants us to remember. Remember, Peter's talking to believers. First of all, the reality is that Scripture is superior to our personal experience. You see, your experience, all this that I've talked about remembering and what you've experienced and all that is all very vital. But here's the deal. If you take Scripture out of it or misuse it or whatever, twist it or pervert or whatever, then it's the same thing as what's filling the gap behind you is the same thing as somebody who hasn't grown in 10 years. Because, see, the truth is nobody doesn't grow for 10 years. Everyone grows every day. The question is, are you growing in godliness or worldliness? You're growing in something. You can't not grow because you live in a world where you're barraged. And the, here's the thing. What determines the pace at which we grow? This is another thing maybe you've never thought about. Hey, think about what determines the pace at which we grow. Whether good or bad, same thing determines it. Amount of incoming information. So the more good information that comes in, the more you grow, but the more bad information that comes in, the more you grow in a bad way. And never in the history of the world could anyone have ever imagined we'd live in a time where there was this capacity of information barraging us at every moment of every day. How, how long, for the last two years, have I not been warning you and warning you and warning you about your information intake and guard your mind? Be careful. I mean, it, you, I just want to say one thing. For something to have the ability to notify me on my phone, like that is the most sacred of all things. 
I'm not. You, you know what I guard more than anything else? Notifications. That's right. My phone only notifies me on the most important things. You know why? Because I understand the danger of being overly informed. If you think for one second that I'm downloading any app that's just telling me things, hey, this is going on, oh, that, you're insane. That's never going to happen. Never going to happen. You do what you, you make your own decisions. I'm just simply warning you. You playing with fire. You're playing with fire. Now, he wants us to remember that Scripture is superior to personal experience. So we got to hurt. So the objective constant of Scripture must be seen to be on a higher plane of authority than personal experience. It has to be. So when somebody says to you, listen, I know this is true because I've experienced it. It sounds like, wow, that's a trump card. But that's not according to Peter. Not according to the Bible. Let me just let you in on a little secret. Uh, Satan can create experiences and feelings in your life. He can manipulate circumstances. So what you think you experienced, how do you know that you experienced the right thing? And since when are your feelings trustworthy? When did that happen? Everything's got to be, there's got to be a plumb line. There's got to be, there's got to be a truth guardrail. Or you're going to be in trouble. So what happens when Scripture contradicts our personal experience? This happens to me all the time. All the time. God, man, I'm reading the Bible, and God shows me something, and I'm like, and all of a sudden, it's like, boom. And I go, man, all this time I was thinking that, and I, now I see. Now, I experienced that, but now I understand what that was based on truth. Remember, we walk by and not by, you know what side is? It's your experiences. You got to be careful. It's what you see. Oh, I know that happened because I saw it with my own eyes. Okay. Be careful with that. Maybe you did and maybe that's good and that's, you know, but just let's just make sure that what you saw lines up with Scripture and then I'm with you. Like, that's great. Validation. I'm, I'm with you. But if you saw something that doesn't align with Scripture, boy, I got a million examples of this, but we got to go. All right. Second thing Peter wants us to remember Scripture's superior because of its supernatural origin. See, he starts talking about 
knowing. No prophecy of Scripture comes by someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but it was spoke by God through men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right? So Scripture didn't originate with humans. Now, this is important. It's, maybe you're like, well, duh. Well, okay. But it's just important to make this point. So that the next point, at least if it offends you, it offends you rightly. Okay? So, it doesn't originate with humans. Therefore, people have no right to twist it or fit it to their own agendas. Because it's not of human origin, so no human has any authority to be twisting around or tangling around with it or messing around with it, right? Now, I mean, yeah, sure, we're, you know... Peter's dealing with false prophets, and so we get that. And false prophets would do that, but we would never do that. We, would we? We would never do that. No. We wouldn't twist it around. Now, what's the difference about a Christian who reads God's Word in their quiet time and then draws their meaning from a topical devotional book that merely addresses one small detail out of the passage, which is most often out of context? Now, if you really want to know how I feel about modern devotions, you should come to Starting Point Week 3, and I will absolutely explode that whole myth in your life. I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. Here's the Bible. I have it right here from God. And, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use all these other... And no one reads more books than me. But I don't read any books more than I read this book. And I only read those books in... And here's the thing. I'm careful about what other books I read. I don't just read any books. You should never just read any... Let me just give you a couple of things to think about. Okay? And look, we're talking about... People have no right to twist it to their own agendas. Well, this drives me crazy. You get, you get your, your, your uh, little, your devotion book that you love so much. I mean, I know why you love it because, I mean, every morning you get to drink your coffee and get a big, fluffy, fuzzy, happy So when you read those books, a couple things. They're not all bad. There's some, there's some devotions read by dead people that written by dead people that are awesome. Uh, but still, you got the Bible, so I don't see the point. But anyway, uh, so when you when you read, have you, you ever noticed this little subtle trick? What you're you're reading a Christian book. And every time a scripture is quoted, it's in a different translation. Now, that's interesting. Now, here's my question. Why 
Why would you change translations all through the book if you weren't twisting things around what you wanted to say? Just use the same translation. I don't even care which one you use. Just stick with one. But on one devotion, you got this paraphrase, and on this devotion, you got the, you know, the NIV or the New Living Translation or this or that. It's, it's a scam. You don't get that? The only reason why I'm changing translations is because I want to use whatever translation best says what I'm trying to get you to say. Well, wouldn't it be smarter to just stick with one translation and let's focus on what it actually does say? Come on. Did it ever occur to you that the gazillion dollar, uh, you know, Christian devotion publishing institutions going on. Hey, they're not make, they don't make any money off your Bible because you got a Bible. So they got to come up with something to sell you. But a devotion, they just change that thing all the time. Anyway. <laughs> What's different about a small group leader who reads a Bible passage and then asks the members to share what it means to them? Well, that's wonderful. And if that ever happens to you here in this church, you run out of that classroom as fast as you possibly can, and you come find me. Because they won't be a small group leader anymore. See, correct contextualization has to precede application. No one cares what a Bible verse means to me or you if we don't know what it means we got to know what it means before we have a conversation about what it means to you or means to me. So at the, after we've talked about what it means and how we know what it means, we can have all the conversations you want to about what it means to you, but not we can't just open it up and go, now, what does that mean to you? Oh, it means you're a heretic and I'm out of here. Or what's different about a pastor who announces a text for his sermon and then he launches into a litany of stories and applications that have nothing to do with the passage he read? I mean, it's entertaining. It's fun to listen to. You know, three points, 23 minutes, everything's good. That is not going to get anybody anywhere. You might as well just stay home and watch reruns of Oprah Winfrey. It's pointless. Just because somebody read a Bible verse in the beginning doesn't anoint everything they say after that. So the third thing, which is really the second half of verse 19, but I think it's all kind of, you know, they go, this is the thing Peter wants to leave us with, is our response should be submission to Scripture in view of Christ's return. You see, that, that's the issue. Is that we, here, here's the thing, we read the Bible. When I read the Bible, like, I mean, I, I, I just wonder sometimes what people think. I don't know. I wonder. Like, what do you, what do people who don't grow spiritually think about people who do grow spiritually? Like, how do you, how do they resolve that in their mind? Like, do you say to yourself, well, well, 
you know, they, they must just be smarter. Well, that's clearly not the case. Or maybe God's given them some special insight. No, that's not the case because we just learned in the beginning of this whole study that God's given us everything that, we're, we're, that is needed for life and godliness. So, I mean, but so then there's all these, but at the end of the day, you know what it is? If you read the Bible with a firm, rock-solid conviction that heaven's real and that a, a date with destiny is a date face-to-face -face with the Savior, you got to obey it. I mean... It's not a trick. It's not any, it's no, it's not a spiritual gift. It's not a, it's just. Submission. Look, to which he says in the second half of 19. So, so we have the prophetic word fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Like, that is an amazing statement. So, he, so he's pulling Old Testament imagery and out of the book of Revelation imagery into this. So we don't obey what the Bible says because it will benefit us. We obey it because obedience to God is what's right. Because God determines what's right. Because the one thing I don't want to be in my life is wrong with God. I could be wrong with a lot of things, but I don't want to be wrong with God. Now, does it benefit us? Absolutely. It benefits us. And so when we submit to God's word, it's beneficial. But you see, this is the thing. This is what delights my heart. Is when, when I'm having a conversation with somebody and somebody says, Pastor, look, this happened. You know, I read this. You said this. However, God got this information to me. And then I submitted to God's word. And then look at all these things that happened. You know, and then... Like, that's the greatest thing in the world. When, and, and here's why. Not because it's like, oh, wow. Look at how uh, great that makes me feel. Or look at how, because I know the value of that. Because what, what happened is when you submitted to God's word and then God, then functionally those things started to play out in your life to where you functionally came to the realization of what you may have known a long time, but you never obeyed it. So you never really, really knew until you obeyed it. Now you know. And so what's happened is these memories have stacked up right behind you that are what? So the next thing you read, you're what? Ten times more likely to submit to, right? And on and on it goes. And so the more that you submit, the more that you are blessed by the benefit of it, but you're not, you're not submitting to it just for the benefit. 
the more convinced and assured you are of the reality of it. And, the, and you see how it just multiplies in you and you just push forward. And the thing about it is you don't take your foot off the gas. Like there's no, you know, like I don't think like, well, you know. I mean, look at how much I've grown. I should just take a month off. It's insanity. Like, no way. No. As believers in Christ, we look forward to the day our lives will be illuminated by the radiance of His, of his presence in all of His glory. See, Peter says you should pay attention like a lamp shining in the dark. See, here's what's happening. So I don't know what you're doing. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. So I'm reading the Bible, and I'm submitting to the Bible based on my firm conviction of what the future is. So all my ability to gauge what's in the future is completely predicated on what I've been experiencing in my most recent past, right? And as I'm experiencing this, it's pushing me forward. Are you with me? So as this is happening... The Word of God, as I'm reading the Word of God, it's like a lamp. Doesn't it say that in Proverbs? It's like a lamp under my feet. Is it a Q-beam? Mm -mm. It doesn't shine 500 yards ahead. It's a lamp. What does it show me? Does it show me a mile down the path? No, it's the next step. So this lamp... The shining is showing me the next step, so I'm walking. But I'm submitting to the Word and trusting this next step as I'm walking because of what I've experienced in the past, and I realize that this, but here's, as I'm going, I'm still stepping on these stones as I'm going. It's still dark out in front of me. My, my out in front of me is just as dark as out in front of you. We all have the same darkness out there. None of us can predict the future. But we're not all walking the same way. And there's a lot of people that aren't even on the path. They're not even on the stones. But as I'm walking on the stones, here's what I'm doing. I'm trusting in these stones. I'm submitting to what I'm reading as I'm walking. But I know with every step, here's what I know. I know one day I'm not going to walk like that anymore. Nope. One day I'm going to be able to see all the way. The whole way. You know what? There's coming a day where I'm not going to rely upon my memories anymore. I'll have memories, but I won't rely on them. Because it'll be my present reality, won't it? Oh, yeah. See, when we're, when, 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 that's what Peter's saying. There's coming a day when we're going to be illuminated by the presence. And then everything I've said tonight disintegrates. There will be no sanctification. There will be no growth. There will be no, why? Because you won't be remembering anything because it's right in front of you. And it will always be. And everything will be illuminated. I mean, are you kidding me? Man, that's what spurs you forward on the path. So until he returns, we've been given this divine flashlight of Scripture to transform us into his image. And light our path as we walk with him.
See, it, it comes down to two simple things. We're all on the path. We're all on a path. I mean, we're all, we're all walking on something. You may not be on the path. You may be off the path, but you're still walking. You're still moving. It's still every day comes. The sun sets and the sun rises. So it comes down to two things. Number one, do you have the flashlight? Not a flashlight, the flashlight. But having the flashlight is only half the equation. You have to have the flashlight, but then what's the rest of the process? You have to step where the flashlight leads you. That's all you have to do. Hold the flashlight tightly, cling to it more tightly than anything else. Shine it forward and then step where it leads you to step. And may God transform your lives in ways you can't imagine. And look at all the examples of this in this room. It's a beautiful thing. We all have the same opportunity. 